0: Last week, I was in Florida, was at a conference, and then visited a church and went with um, Caleb and Hillary and a few other people. We had a great time, but we sure missed you guys. And just a week off, it's like, whoa. So my name's Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mariners Huntington Beach, and I love you guys. Um, We are in a series called The Life of Adventure. And last week, Kyle talked, right? And he did a great job. That's what I heard. You didn't think so, so much. (laughs) Did he do a great job? Okay. I'll pass this along to Kyle. So you you guys thought he was awesome. Good. And um, this week, uh, Caleb's not here. He's teaching down at the chapel in Irvine, but he'll be with us next week. And so anyway, adventure is kind of an interesting thing. We have a love-hate relationship with adventure because I think all of us like the idea of thinking of ourselves as adventurous people, right? I mean, we all want people, if they're going to talk about us, to say, Oh, yeah, that Kevin, he's pretty adventurous. And, uh, you know, if we had done a series, you know, the, the predictable and boring life, you probably would not be so interested in that. But the, the life of adventure sort of packs a punch. And basically, we make decisions all the time on whether we're going to step into adventure. Because while we like to be adventurous, let's just face it, adventure is kind of inconvenient, And it's usually a little uncomfortable. And it's kind of risky. And so when adventure comes our way, we always have a decision to make. Am I going to step into it? Or am I going to sort of back off um, this week? Nikki, my 16-year-old, got her learner's permit, so exciting. Do you remember back to those days, for those of you that are past 16, remember the first time sitting in the driver's side of a car and turning on the ignition and not really sure what you're doing next, but just sort of going for it and your heart is pounding and everything, you know, you've driven in a car a million times and it's been boring and it's not boring anymore and you realize you have... You know, the life of every person in that car, as well as every person on the road, in your hands. And so she was going to drive us from our house to Subway. Uh, and, and so we're driving over there, and she's awkward, and she's nervous, and, you know, all these things. It's like, Nikki, slow down. No, Nikki, speed up. And so finally we get over to Subway, and uh, she's pulling in, and she's, she's actually done a great job. She made sure she was parking not next to anyone uh, not really very close to Subway either, but we were, you know, part. And so uh, just as she's about to turn off uh, the the ignition, she remembers she forgot one thing, and she floors it, and we go flying up onto this hedge in front of us, and we're just sitting there, and Nikki's like this, and I'm like this, and Kate's in the back, and we're all like, ah! And, uh, and so she just put out on her Facebook. It's so great. She just said... Got my learner's permit, and she has a picture of the hedge. Just, and, you know, is that not the life of adventure? Is that, you know, it's a little uncomfortable. You can't predict it, but it makes for a great story after you say it. Okay. So we're going to look at um, a couple of guys that God invited into adventure. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to give you one. You're going to need it for some of the passages we're looking at. They won't be on the screen or in your outline. So just raise your hand, and we will get these Bibles to you. Um, and this is a great story, and it's one probably you've heard maybe a little bit about. Uh, the second story you've heard a lot about but this uh, surrounds a guy named Jacob, and God invites Jacob into an adventure. And Jacob is one of the least adventurous people that you're going to meet at the beginning of the story. He is actually, uh, and, and not to be sort of derogative here or, or, you know, to paint any kind of stereotype, but he's a mama's boy. I mean, literally, he's a mama's boy. Rebecca watches out for him all the time. Uh, his brother's a big hunter. He sort of hangs out around the kitchen. And that's Jacob, and God decides Jacob's going to go on an adventure. And the reason this is an important story is because this pattern that he gives to Jacob, and then we're going to look at Moses, is a pattern that is consistently um, presented in the Bible as far as how God invites us into adventure. So in Genesis chapter 28, uh, we pick up this story, and you need to know uh, about a term to understand how this story goes. Uh, it is the, the word um, primogenitor, and do any of you know what primogenitor means? Okay, good. I had to look it up too. It is, it's the uh, concept that was alive and well in the Old Testament, and actually in the New Testament too, that the oldest son would always get the double portion of inheritance. He would get the birthright, and he would get the blessing. And uh, if you think that you know, firstborns have it good now, they really had it good back then. Uh, They were the ones that would lead the family when the father died, and the whole Bible is set in a context where that is the practice of the day. It's the custom of the day, and uh, what's so interesting is God violates it constantly, and so there's all kinds of interruptions to this practice that is used, and one of the first times that it happens is with this guy, Jacob, but unlike other places where God kind of intervenes, and he, he raises a younger son... To, to get the double portion or to get the blessing or to lead the family. In this case, Jacob takes matters into his own hands. He decides he wants that. And while he's not as courageous as his brother Esau, while he's certainly you know, not as adventurous as him, uh, he is sort of conniving and scheming. And so he, with his mother Rebekah, basically deceive Isaac, their, uh, his father, into giving him the blessing and giving him the birthright. And it's a really interesting story. But as you can imagine, Esau was not excited about that. And Esau decided he was going to kill his little brother for taking his uh, birthright and blessing. And so the story picks up there. And again, what we have with Jacob is you have a guy that's not adventurous. Um, Esau... Uh, really the biggest job that Esau or Jacob had because of the the promise that had been given to their grandfather Abraham was to continue the family line, was to make sure that they were developing a family that would follow God, that would become the Jewish nation, that would eventually be the birth line of the Messiah. And so making decisions on who you'd marry and what your kids were doing was really important. And Esau was sort of striking out there because he was marrying women uh, that were in the area that didn't share their faith and mom and dad were not excited about that and so as Jacob gets this birthright and as Jacob gets this blessing mom says to him Rebecca says to him listen we need you to marry well it's really important that you marry well there are not uh, the women and I am using plural because back in that day they married more than one woman whole different story whole different sermon topic we'll talk about that some other time Uh, but basically says, I want you to go back to where Abraham is from, where your grandfather is from, and I want you to pick women from our family back there. That's who I want you to pick. And it was about 550 miles on foot. He was going to go alone. His brother was searching him out to kill him. And uh, he had this huge fear of the unknown. He'd never been to that part of the world before. And so he He trips out, and he's gone about two or three days when we pick up the story. It's in Genesis 28, verse 10, and it says these words. Jacob left Beersheba, that's where he was from, and set out for Haran. And Haran is where uh, Abraham had been born and where their family had been from. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep. Now, that phrase, a certain place, is a little, it's a little odd to say it that way. Maybe you just sort of give it a pass because it's, it's the Bible after all, and almost everything is said in a little odd way in the Bible. But it is a little, you know, he, he's walking along and he comes to a certain place. And uh, unlike what it sounds like, that it was sort of a designated space, or that you know there was some purpose of why he would stop there, uh, the, the Hebrew actually gives us the idea that it is a completely random place. In fact, the author goes on to say the only reason he stopped there was because the sun was setting, and he had to stop somewhere. And so he just decides, this is where I'm going to stop. It's a random place. It certainly is not a religious place. There's no temples there. There's no altars there. You know, nobody's having a small group or a life group there. There's nothing going on there that would make someone think, wow, this is going to be an amazing experience with God. He's just out in the wilderness. He's by himself. He's alone. He's frightened. He's focused on where he's going, and he's going to sleep here. And so he picks out a nice, comfortable rock to put his head on, and he nods off to sleep. Um, It says at that point that he had a dream, verse 12. He had a dream, which he saw. A stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And I'm just telling you, this was not what Jacob expected this night. If if, uh, if anyone was surprised by what happened, it would have been Jacob. In fact, up to this point in the story, we get really no inclination that Jacob has much of a relationship with God at all. Now, he's in a family that is sort of the church-going, you know, never-miss-Sunday-church kind of family, so he knows of God, but up to this point, we have no real indication that he has a heart for God, that he wants to do what God says, that he has his quiet times with God. You know, we just get no indication that there's any real intention in his relationship with God. And yet in this remote place, in this totally random place, God comes and gives Jacob a visit. And uh, it's sort of this amazing story of angels going up and down this staircase. It was so interesting. I'm reading different scholars that are writing about this, and people are arguing, was it a ladder or was it a staircase? You know, they're trying to parse the Hebrew word and figure it out, and where else does it play out? And, you know, really, that's not the most interesting question. The question is, why do angels need stairs anyway? You know, you figure they could be flying up and down, but for some reason they're going up and down the staircase. And uh, this other really interesting phrase is used there, which is it says, and the Lord was above. And you get this idea that God's on top of the staircase and the angels are coming up and down and Jacob's down there and God's up above. But actually, that is not the best translation of that word. Uh, And the reason there's a little confusion about it is because there is the positional place of God and then there is sort of the authority position of God. And this is uh, translated to tell us that God was in authority. And the word above, of course, is a word of authority. When it says, you know, Kevin is above someone. Uh, If we're not talking about literal space, you're saying, oh, well, he's in authority over somebody else. And here, when it says God was above Jacob, all that's saying is he was in authority. The literal positional place, this is so interesting to me, is that God is beside Jacob, Jacob's there, sleeping on the ground with his nice, comfortable rock. And as he awakes, God is right beside him. He's right next to him. He is in that space that Jacob is occupying. And uh, it sort of brings up an interesting question. And the question is, where is God? And, um, you know, for people that have their theology hats on, you will just answer, well, God is everywhere right? We know that. He's omnipresent. He, he, he is in every place. But, you know, the truth of the matter, um, and just see if this is true for you, it's true for me. There are certain places where I expect God to be more actively involved than other places. Uh, maybe it's that way for you. So you come to church, and you're coming to church to meet with God. And it it isn't that you would say he's nowhere else. It's just this is going to be my time with God. Maybe in the morning when you, if you do a devotion or you read something or do a little Bible study or just pray or whatever, you're like, well, that's my time with God. Maybe when you go to a life group, it's sort of like, you know, and I I expect God to show up there, and, and there's going to be some really cool things. But isn't it so interesting that for a lot of us, we never really think of God at work, that he's at my workplace. Or for those of you that go to school, that, that he's at my school, that he's in my uh, third period biology class. That's where God is. We just don't think that way so much. We don't think about him driving with us unless our 16-year-old is driving and she floors it over a hedge and then you're calling out to God all over the place. You know, You just don't think about that much. We we have this ability, this sort of uncanny ability, and I have it too, that we separate our lives into the the, the sacred or the spiritual and the secular. The the things where God probably doesn't care that much about that. Uh, I'm not saying he's not here, but I don't really expect to hear from him much here. And we have this ability to sort of separate or regulate our lives into these two divisions. And one of the things that really is pointed out here, and in fact, this is a huge theme in the Bible, how much God shows up or seems to be occupying a space that the person would never think God is really that interested, that he's really there, that he's really... Uh, paying attention and wants to get something done in that space. It just happens constantly. And here with Jacob, it happens in this remote spot that was totally random, that just happened to be the place where he was going to go to bed, not thinking about God, not concerned about God, more concerned about his own agenda. And all of a sudden, this incredible, this incredible scene unfolds. And you know what? Jacob will never be the same again. He will never be the same again because God is there. God is there. God does not think, oh, well, that's not really a space I should be in because that's kind of the secular space. I'll just wait till Jacob goes to life group and then I'll talk to Jacob at his life group. Or I'll wait till he's at the temple because then, you know, he'll be focused. God doesn't do that. God shows up, God is involved. God does his thing wherever he chooses. And here's the reality. It's because he's already there. He was in. God was in a certain place because he's everywhere. And he's active everywhere. Really an interesting thing. Uh, Turn in your Bibles over to uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus 3, now this story is way more familiar to you, I think, and so I'm going to go through it a little bit quicker, but in Exodus 3, we have Moses, and just to catch you up with the story, remember Moses, for 40 years, he is in the court in uh, Egypt, and he is a prince, and so he's got all kinds of prestige and... But he finds out that he's a Jew and he realizes the Jews are being treated poorly and he decides he's gonna step up and do something about it. He ends up murdering somebody and he flees for his life. And the next 40 years of his life is spent really in in, uh, complete anonymity out in the wilderness being a shepherd, which was a very lowly job in that society. That was you did not aspire to be a shepherd. He was a shepherd. And uh, as far as he knows, you know, now this is between the ages of 40 and 80. This is going to be the end of his life. This is what his life is all about. He had his shot, blew it, and now from 40 to 80, he is a shepherd in the wilderness in Midian, which uh, if you've ever seen pictures of Midian, it is the most miserable place probably on the globe. It is terrible. It is Midian actually means rocks and air. <laughs> it's like those are the two things you get in Midian, rocks and air. And so he's out shepherding in the rocks and air location uh, of the world. And all of a sudden, in the most random of places, Again, we have this idea that it is a totally random place. I mean, he's looking for a place to feed his flock, and he's sort of traveling around in this wilderness, and all of a sudden, this really strange thing happens. He's walking along, and he looks over, and there's this bush that's on fire, and he keeps looking at it because that, you know, that sometimes happens, maybe a lightning strike or something like that. He's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking, and pretty soon it's clear this thing's not burning up, and that's very dry, sort of sage-brushy kind of stuff. It should disappear pretty quickly, and it's not, and it says, so he walks over. He pays attention to it, and if you have uh, in Exodus 3, it says, now Moses uh, was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And uh, he led his flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb. That's also Sinai, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. And so he goes over. And, of course, we all know how the story unfolds from that. Moses' life will never be the same. God is not concerned about waiting until Moses catches him at church. He's not concerned about, you know, making sure that Moses is having his devotions in the Torah. He is just like, you know what? I want to talk to Moses. And I'm going to. I'm showing up. This is going to be a major encounter between Moses and me. And as we know from that story, Moses is never the same again. And they go back and forth, and God has to convince him that he's got a special plan, that he has an adventure for Moses, that Moses is going on adventure. And at first, Moses is like, hey, listen, if you had caught me 40 years ago when I was younger, when I was sort of all about that, maybe that would have been great. Hey, I've been out of the game for a long time. You can certainly find somebody better than me. And God says, no, it's you. You're the one you and I, we're going to go do something together. And not only has Moses' life changed forever, but our lives are changed as a result of that. The Jewish nation was saved because of that. Because God had a plan. And God did not wait for Moses to get in the spiritual place. He didn't wait for Moses to get to us any place. Not in his character, not in his development. We get no indication that Moses had been searching out God. That Moses had been preparing his life. That Moses was, you know, so far along in his rooted curriculum that now 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 God could do something amazing with him. God just says, "Moses, you're the one. This is the time we're going on adventure together." And it's such an important it's such an important truth because again, we get this is not like isolated. If, uh, if you allowed me to talk for hours and hours and hours, um, then I would just, we could just go through time and time and time and time and time again. God doesn't make a reservation. He just says, now's the time. I'm showing up. Something major is going to happen. We're going to do something together. And you know, God operates that way all the time. And I bet you, really, if you thought about your life, you would say, maybe there's times where I met with God in a place where I expected it. Maybe something major happened at church and I was expecting it. Maybe I had set some time aside and I was expecting it. But I'll bet all of you have a story where God entered space, it seems like, or you entered space and God was already there. God was already working. God already had an idea of something that you were going to participate in, and he invited you to join him. Uh, There's a great book. It's it's a few years old now called Blue Like Jazz, and Donald Miller, the writer of that book, tells of his experiences at a uh, very liberal college up in Oregon, very uh, smart sort of high end of the intellect scale the students were but very liberal, and he tells the story of this girl named Penny, and Penny uh, had been raised by hippie parents, uh, was very antagonistic when it came to God or spiritual matters, and uh, she met Donald Miller, and they became friends, and Donald Miller was a Christian, and over, over the time, she, she uh, softened a little bit to that. But she was a wild party girl, and she was enjoying the college life. And one day, uh, one night, she was up at a party at a friend's house, and she was wasted. She was both, uh, you know, both drugs and alcohol. She was almost ready to pass out. And so she went down to her room because she didn't want to pass out there. And as she came into her room, she just fell on the floor. And she was sort of actually hovering in between being conscious and unconscious, and she was just laying there. And all of a sudden, according to her, and in this book, she heard a voice say, Penny, this is not the life I have for you. And she thought, I'm just hallucinating. And so she laid there, and then she said, as clear as it could be, a voice said, Penny, this is not the life I have for you. And she recognized that that was Jesus talking to her. And it's such a great story because Donald Miller, she went and told Donald Miller that story. And he said, so did you accept Jesus right there? And she said, of course not. She goes, I can't make such an important life decision when I'm loaded. And so she didn't. But she became a Christian after that. And here's the point. you know. And some of you might be skeptical and say, I don't think that kind of a thing would really happen. And it doesn't really matter what you think. I mean, would we not all agree that God has the ability to reach into our lives whenever he wants and to invite us into something? Can he not do that? And here's the question. If that doesn't happen to us, is it because God's not making the move or we're not looking around to see any burning bushes? We are so fixated on our agenda. We are moving at such a fast pace that God might have burning bushes all around us and we're not even looking to see what God is up to, where he is already moving, where he's saying, I'm inviting you into an adventure that you know nothing about, but this literally could change your life if you would just turn aside and look at the bush that's burning right in front of you. You know, um, And again, I I am speaking to myself. So often, as a Christian man, as a Christ following man, I think that it is up to me to bring Jesus to people, that it's up to me to bring Jesus into a situation, that it's up to me to make something happen that's not happening at this point. And here is the secret of what we learn with Jacob and Moses. Jesus is already there. Jesus is already loving the people that you're just now thinking about. Jesus is already in operation. He's not waiting for you. He's already moving. Now, here's the deal. He's going to invite you in. Could he do it without inviting you in? Absolutely. Probably do a better job if you don't get muddled in the middle of it. But he says, you know what? It brings me great joy to invite you into this, to bring you into the adventure. I mean, what's life for if not for an adventure? And so, you know, we, parents, those of us that are parents, whether our kids are still little itty-bitty things or they're older, maybe moved out of the house, we never stop being parents, right? And isn't the constant question you're asking is how can I help my kids know God and move in God and, and walk with God and, you know, get the morals of God and all these things. And I've got just the best news for you. Jesus is already on it. He's, he's actually more concerned about your kids getting that stuff than you are. He's already working. Your job isn't so much to figure out how to bring it into your kids. It's to recognize there's already a burning bush there. God's already working. How are you going to join him? How are you going to recognize that he's already in that situation, that he just wants to, to clue you in so you can jump in and join him? You know, we pray about maybe opportunities at work, and I've got this coworker, and I'd so much want to invite this coworker to church, and I play basketball with these guys on, on Saturday morning, and, uh, you know, most of them I don't think are, you know, thinking about God all that much. And, you know, and so I'm constantly praying, you know, what can I do? How can I? bring Jesus into this conversation. And you know what I realize? When I stand back, there is not a week that goes by when I play basketball with these guys where they don't bring up God to me. And I'm not talking about swearing. I'm talking about where they don't make some comment. And and uh, they, they know what my job is. They know from the way that I handle myself on the court that, that God's important to me, that Jesus is important to me. So yesterday we're playing, and uh, a guy has a breakaway layup, and uh, it's, it's basically breakaway because the only person in between him and the, the basket is me and that's sort of a breakaway layup and so uh, <laughs> he goes up and I go up and I foul him pretty hard because I didn't want him to make it and, and then afterwards I apologize and he sort of smiles at me he's this big black guy he sort of smiles at me he goes you don't need to apologize when you foul me and, and then somebody else says well you know that Kevin you know that Kevin and then somebody else says well you know he just wanted to put his hand on you anyway because that's how he blesses you <laughs> And I'm just like, all this dialogue is just ripping around me, and I'm not even saying anything. And you know what the reality is? God's already working in those guys. My job is not to insert Jesus into something. Jesus is already there. He's already showed up. He's already working. My job is to try and identify where is he working, or maybe to point out to somebody that's there, hey, Jesus is already loving you. He's already working in your life. Because he's already there. He's already in that certain place, right? There already is a bush that's burning somewhere. That's absolutely true. In, uh, in Psalm 139, if you have your Bibles, just flip over to Psalm 139. We just get this great theology from David. And it's just so good to remember this. He says these words, Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. He just says, he says, uh, talking about God, he says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, when I uh, rise, uh, you know, let's see, I can barely read that. You know, when I sit, you know, when I rise, all right, the font has to get bigger in, in here. Uh, you perceive, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Am I missing something here? I don't want to turn around. I can, I can read it on here. I can read it on here. Prove, I'll prove it to you. <laughs> and you guys just correct me when I screw up the words. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You see how I'm reading it here? Maybe I memorized it. Who knows? Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. What a great picture. You hem me. I, you know what a hem is? On both sides. You're, I'm hemmed in. There's no place I can go that you're not already there. You lay your hand upon me. You know, I, um, I was reading this verse years and years ago to a college girl. I was doing college ministry. I read it to a college girl, and she was not a Christian, and, and she started weeping, actually, when she heard this. And I thought, oh, this is touching her so deeply. And I asked her, why are you weeping about this? And she goes, this terrifies me, that God knows me this well, that he knows everything I'm doing, that, that he's paying attention. I mean, she was racked with guilt and shame and fear. But listen to what David says. Such knowledge is too wonderful for for me, too lofty for me to attain. And you know what the difference is? The difference isn't whether somebody is moral or immoral or living the right life or living the wrong life. It's just the attitude toward God. Does God love me? Is he so involved in my life because he's trying to catch me in any place so he can show his love to me, so he can direct me, so he can help me move forward. And that's how David saw it. That's why that was such wonderful knowledge to him is because no matter where I go, no matter what I'm doing, God is there, God is there. His love is being poured out. His idea is I want to move him in the right direction. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light as light darkness is as light to you. The idea here is that God is seeing everything, he's participating in everything. He is already there. If you're moving in a space, he's already there. If you're leaving a space, he was there in that space. If you're talking to a person, God's already there. He's in that conversation. If you're at work, God already went to work. God got to work before you did in the morning. If you're at a school, if you're transferring schools, guess what? The new school you're showing up to, God's already there. God is already working. He is already moving, he's maneuvering. Last week at the Irvine campus, there was a lady who and this is literally true, Muslim lady, she woke up in the morning, she had had a dream where Jesus said, "I want to meet with you." She has never been to church in her whole life, and so she drove to the Irvine campus. It was just a big old church. She didn't know anything about it. She went in. She was in the service. At the end of the service, the guy who's getting done finishing, Mike, says, hey, if anybody needs to pray, just come on up here and pray. She is so nervous, and she moves so slowly that she gets up there after everyone has left, and so she's standing up at the stage sort of looking around, and there's a woman on our staff who is so great, so precious. She's one of our receptionists. And so she was out in the cafe eating lunch and all of a sudden she got this distinct impression that God said, I need you to pray for somebody that's in the auditorium right now. And she's like, what? I mean, just like you, what? And he said, I'm just telling you, I need you to s- stop eating and just go into the auditorium. Goes into the auditorium, there's one lady that's still standing in there and so she walks up to the lane and she goes, hey, um, I know this sounds super weird but God told me to come in here and pray with you. And the lady just starts crying. And she tells her what had happened. It was the first time she'd ever even heard about Jesus. Jesus was already there. He'd already showed up. He was already working. It wasn't that this woman was going to do something that Jesus was unaware of. Jesus was already working in it. The great news is that Jesus invites us into adventure because he's already there. He's already working. There's already bushes that are being burned all around us. And the question is, are we going to open our eyes and see it? Are we going to, you know, it says that Jacob awoke. Will we awake to this? We're being invited all the time by God to participate. It's the most amazing thing. Just the most amazing thing. Um... All right, I want, to, I want to wrap up here, so we're going to skip over a couple of the other notes. But there is one other part to this. And sometimes people say, well, how do I know that it's God's voice? How do I know that it's God telling me to do something or it's not just I'm thinking that I should do it or, or somebody else says it? How, how do I recognize God's voice? And uh, if I was to introduce you to my oldest son, Josh, who I don't think any of you know, Uh, And I was to try to describe his voice to you. You know, his voice is sort of deep and manly, and he sounds like James Earl Jones, and, you know, he doesn't really. But if I was to say those kinds of things, uh, the reality is if if you heard his voice all of a sudden, you would not know if that was Josh or not. I could not describe it to you enough for you to get it. How would you ever recognize Josh's voice? By listening to him talk. If he talked to you for a while, pretty soon you would recognize his voice. If he called you on the phone, you would recognize his voice. The only way to do it is to be in proximity and to hear what he's saying. And one of the ways that God talks to us all the time is through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Jesus is giving us his voice as we read those stories about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, for us, when we don't spend time listening to his voice there, it is not surprising that we miss the burning bushes around because we don't recognize his voice. We don't see where he's working. And, you know, this week, one of the takeaways is if you're not spending time reading about Jesus and seeing how he operates, and you're interested in adventure, the adventure God has, there's just no shortcut I wish I could tell you there's something else that's a lot cooler or a lot more inventive or there just isn't. You you just need to take time to read stories about Jesus. But it isn't enough because let me just finish by saying this. In the case with Jacob, the story is not the story begins in that certain place. It doesn't end in that certain place. Because what has to happen is Jacob has to make a decision. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to do this. God's inviting me. I'm going to participate. In the case of Moses, imagine if Moses at the burning bush and back and forth with God and God says, you can do it. And Moses says, I can't do it. And God says, I'll help you and I'm not sure you're going to help me. And I'll do this and I don't know. And they go back and forth. And what if at the end of all that, Moses is totally clear that this is God. It's God's voice. God has told him. He has no doubts about it. He knows that. But finally he just says, God, I'm not in. And I'm not going to imagine how different things would be. Now, I'm not saying God couldn't have done it even if Moses had walked away, that he wouldn't have picked somebody else, that we'd be talking about Bob instead of Moses or something, you know, some other guy that that responded well. But just think what Moses would have missed out on. Missed out on going back to Egypt. Missed out on the confrontation with Pharaoh. Missed out on the ten plagues. Missed out on the Exodus. Missed out on crossing the Red Sea, leading people in the greatest Old Testament miracle of all time. Missed out on being fed in the wilderness in a miraculous way. Missed out on going to Mount Sinai. Missed out going up and getting the Ten Commandments. Missed out on taking the children of Israel to the edge of the promised land. Moses would have missed out on all of it. Because it isn't enough just to hear God's voice there is always the question, will you launch out in the adventure God's giving you? Will you listen? And when you've heard, will you step? Will you act? You don't know how it's going to go. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be really inconvenient. It could even mess up the agenda you've set for your life. And God just says, listen, I'm inviting you to step into something I'm already doing. So here's what I'd like to do. You guys, I think, got pencil and a little paper coming in, right? If you take that out, um, I'm going to give you a moment just to write and kind of a moment of silence. We don't have silence a lot, and you're going to get a little bit of silence here just to write. And here's what I want you to write. Uh, first question, really, and, and they can kind of blend together, but where, where do you see God already? Where, maybe during this talk, it's crossed your mind. You know what? God's operating. He's already operating. He's already doing something, and as Kevin was saying that, I all of a sudden became really aware he's operating in my kids, or he's at work already, or the place that I work out, or he's in my neighbor's, you know, something's happening with my neighbors, or you know, I'm feeling like God is already working. Write that down. Just write it down. Just sort of confirm this is a place where I already feel like God is working. Uh, I didn't invite him to. He just decided this is, he was there. He's going to do something while he's there. And then the second question I just want you to think about is what would it mean for you to step in? What would it mean for you to participate? What would be the step you would take to say, God, I've heard your voice, and I'm going to join you. And I don't know what that's going to look like. And that actually makes me a little nervous. I'm actually going to change my plans a little because I want to join you in what you're doing. So take a minute and just write that down. And if you already have it written down, maybe just talk to God for a second. You know what? He's sitting right beside you, just like Jacob. He's right beside you. You can even, he's inside of you. You can just talk inside your head, and he'll hear you. And just spend a minute with, with what he's revealed to you and just talk to him for just a sec. And then we'll worship together.